Mi pobre corazón Estás pegando justo, entiéndelo Si quiebras poco más Mi pobre corazón Me harás mil pedazos Hola, hola, bienvenidos a Radio Menea I'm Miriam Soyla Perez And I'm Vero Valletti Flores And we are two Latinx friends with wildly different music tastes Each week we bring you music from the Latinx artists that we love And this week We've got a Latino country episode for you. I know. We wanted to uh, do it for the Yeehaw Latinos. <laughs> um, and we are starting with an iconic <laughs> song. Please, Pérez, tell us about this. Um, this one you might recognize even if you've never heard the Spanish version of the song. It's a uh, cover of a classic. This is called No Rompas Mi Corazón, and it's by Caballo Dorado. Let's take another listen. Mi pobre corazón, estás pegando justo, entiéndelo. Si quieras poco más, mi pobre corazón, me harás mil pedazos, quiérelo. Breaky okay, heart. tell us about this one. <laughs> I know, the Billy Ray Cyrus classic, I, although we learned today that it was first, uh, you know, released by somebody else, but Billy Ray Cyrus is like, you know, the man behind the popularity of yeah, the song. Yeah, he popularized it, and I did not realize that he's also the man behind Miley Cyrus until Beto pointed out to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's squandering her talent oh. out there doing whatever the fuck she's doing instead of singing country songs. <laughs> Um, if this felt like an appropriate theme, both because we've never covered it and also because I think, like we talked about last week, Beyonce is kind of bringing, I feel like she's bringing, country's having a moment beyond the country scene because of Beyonce and her her song and potentially her album that has not yet been released. So Yeah, so you, if you're not a member, you did not oh, hear right, right, right. Um, <laughs> our discussion about the um, Beyonce song, but I brought the Beyonce um, song Texas Hold'em to our episode because uh, this Dominican American um, woman was listed as a producer and I was like this counts right but mm-hmm. um, so I we just had a whole discussion about the ways that Beyonce is doing the work of um, showing the black roots of genres that have been really distanced from blackness in their popularity. So like house music obviously was where um, she focused on Renaissance. Um, anybody who like knows anything about house music knows that that came from black clubs in Chicago, but it's been so influential and like so part of pop music and you know that now um, your average consumer maybe would not associate um house music with black people and i think that the same is true about country music where like you know so much about country music is indebted to blackness and black people and on texas hold'em she has rhiannon giddens playing the banjo Mm. on there so um you know who's done she won a macarthur genius award uh for her work on banjo and blackness and country music and blackness so um, it's a really exciting time and because everyone's excited about country and because I personally love country, I was like, let's do a country episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I appreciate the invitation. This was not a song I was aware of. I mean, I know Achy Breaky Heart. I know the English one, but I did not um, know. And it seems like this is actually potentially pretty iconic in the Mexican community to the point where it's maybe even a staple at like... Um, quinceañeras and weddings because there's the, there's a line dance that goes with it that if you watch the video you can see in real time 
So our Mexican listeners will have to confirm or deny this, whether this is still the case. But according to an article I read from 2015 with these guys, that was still the case then. Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty funny. And, uh, you know, it might be like the electric slide, you know, their version of the electric slide moment that a lot of people still have at gatherings in the U.S. Um, I love a good choreographed dance, a good line dance. I'm like a, a fan of like the Cupid Shuffle. The Cupid and, Shuffle, you know, yeah. Like all of those. The Wobble is my personal wobble. favorite. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll electric slide. Uh-huh. So who wants to teach me how to do this not no romper corazones you know <laughs> yeah i mean it is a nice like inclusive moment at a at a at an event where you don't have to have a partner to dance and i don't know i i do think it's a fun sort of like oh we're all doing the same thing moment so i agree yeah you're right i think the cupid shuffle and the wobble have kind of replaced the electric slide as a more common one now either of those yeah yeah the electric slide is sort of like a grandma moment but you know people yeah. love it i mean people love it's it true this probably would be a grandma moment because this song came out in 1994 um so oh. it's been around for a minute i mean maybe i guess could we be grand we couldn't well we're still young 94 Grandma's we were only young, yeah. like 10 though so but yeah it's true yeah. we're getting old we're getting old um so this group was formed by two sets of brothers from chihuahua and in 2015 they were still together there's not that much on the internet about them so like no wikipedia page stuff like that so i'm going a lot from this interview i saw read from 2015 which was their 30th anniversary um and yeah you know i think we have a lot to say about about like what does latino country mean but these guys definitely brought like country music like american style country music or their take on american style country music to mexico and that was like part of what they were doing was was trying to bring these sounds and and this style of music um to mexico and and popularize it and it seems like they were successful to a certain degree yeah i thought that this would be interesting to think about because so much of what we think about in country music comes out of like the American South, which like, it's not surprising, right? Like it's like a sort of like a workers, like a working class style of music that emerged from like working songs. And um, of course, like slavery is involved in all of that. And like migrations of like workers, like from like Ireland and like, you know, all these different like traditions, like are sort of mixed up in the American South. And what we've known for the last like, you know, 20, 30 years since NAFTA um, in the Southeast, there's been a huge influx of migration of, um, Latinos to the American South. There's like, you know, in the last like five years, there's been a lot of like Venezuelans and like other people in the American South um, and in the Southwest, right? Where there's also like a country music, honky tonk sort of tradition, like Texas and the Southwest more generally. Um, those places used to be Mexico and are places where there's like a lot of Latino people were there. So um, it's just like sort of inevitable the way that these two mix. Um, And I thought it would be interesting to look at it and sort of in that line of thinking, um, I wanted to talk about another icon of country music, another Mexican icon of country music, Linda Ronstadt. Mm-hmm. This song is from an album she did with Dolly Parton and Emmylou Harris called Trio, where they all sing songs together and the harmonies are just astounding. Um, this one is The Pain of Loving You. Let's take a listen. Oh, the pain of loving you 
Linda Ronstadt's family were this like longtime Mexican ranching family in Arizona, right? They were like generations and generations that like were had this ranch in Arizona uh, who were there like in Mexico and like it was like a border across them sort of situation. Right. Um, and they were Mexican, but they were of German descent. Uh, their German ancestor migrated to Sonora and ended up in Arizona. And I feel like so many like little moments from our podcasts <laughs> and different episodes and different things that we've brought like locked in for me here just because like if you know anything about Mexican music, if you've like listened to our accordion episode, for example, or if, like you've listened to Vanda and have wondered like why there's like tubas in Mexico Mexican music um and like you will know that there's this tide of German immigrants to Mexico and that this left like this huge mark on Mexican regional music and Mexican agricultural um culture right and like you know like that should be something like a polka because it is a polka like it came from Germany and it morphed there and so I just say it was like this like moment where I was like, oh, yes, a German ancestor. Of course, there was like this like interesting German migration to Mexico um, a while back and that like really has shaped uh, Mexican music. But anyway, it's just like all this little background that like all these little strings that are being tied together for me. But oh, she comes from this ranching family in Arizona and like goes on to become this hugely influential country star. Um, and like I said, this song is from this really stunning album called Trio, in which Linda Ronset uh, gets together with Dolly Parton and Emmylou Harris, who are both like, you know, incredible on their own right, um, to do like this set of songs. And it's just so beautiful. And um, Linda Ronstadt also would later go on to, you know, she's fairly white, which is, you know, makes sense with her German ancestry or whatever. But like, she... Um, she so a lot of people I think didn't necessarily know that she was Mexican because also her name doesn't sound like something that people might as- associate with Mexicanness. But she later she didn't hide from her Mexicanness and would later on like go on to like do like mariachi music and like focus on that and like she had like a cookbook that was like about like her Mexican kitchen mm. and like it was something that was really present for her as well. Like it was something that like because of the way that she looked and like her name she could have like easily like not highlighted um because that was probably not super appreciated in like the 70s and the 80s country music scene but she um really chose to highlight it and like celebrate it so Mm. i i'm a fan and i heard that selena gomez is playing her in a biopic that they're doing about linda ronsas so i'll be waiting for that yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so, do you know if she sang in? So, did she sing in Spanish at any point in her career? I think she did. I think she did some mariachi songs oh, in Spanish. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I wonder. Also, like, she's got her German ancestor, but I wonder if all of her ancestors were like German immigrants, or if there was more, you know, in her background beyond. Probably that. not. Yeah. Probably not. I mean, she doesn't. I mean, I, I'm sure Germans look a lot of different ways, right. but she's not like a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, or right. anything. You know, like yeah. 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 Um, did you know she had a relationship with Jerry Brown, the governor of California? <laughs> Just looking at her Wikipedia page right now. <laughs> I did not know, know that. Also, she adopted two children on her own because she never married. That's kind of gay. Good for her. <laughs> um, uh, thank you for, yeah, thank you for highlighting her. I do feel like she she's actually still around. She is no longer yeah, singing because yeah. of her health has deteriorated. She has some sort of new degenerative disorder. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, she's a living legend. She's really excellent. And um, yeah, I'm really excited for her to get like her flowers now mm-hmm. with this biopic if it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. Seems like she's done some political stuff, too. Um, yeah, it's so interesting. Also, like, you know, we every so much about our show is like the way that borders are fictions, but also they are these like boundaries on certain things especially culture and so one of the things Mm -hmm. you and i were talking about around this idea of like latino country is like the connection between rural musical traditions 
in Latin America and rural musical traditions in the U.S. Because obviously country in many ways is like a rural southern musical tradition, even though obviously it exists in cities and stuff, Mm -hmm. too. And, you know, Nashville is like the center of it, which is a a, more of an urban center. But um, I think some of the people will will, one of the artists I'm going to bring kind of like blur some of those lines. But I think they are blurry. Right. Because those there's certain, you know, theme thematic things around like agriculture and ranching that exist in both places for some in some places, like the the thematic connections between these rural musical traditions. And then um, I think also like, musically, there's probably some some connections that we can make yeah. between, you know, some of these like Norteños and different things that are also can be seen in, in a similar like sort of geographic place in a different country. Yeah, it it is. It's very interesting. And I think that the, this idea of borders being sort of these like fictions, but also like so real, you know, in the yeah. same way that like race is arbitrary and made up and a fiction and also so, so real. real. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think is uh, it, it, it's an interesting thing to explore when thinking about country music and like the ways that Latino people and communities engage in it and don't engage in it and like how like it like sort of um I don't know like how it happens in those borderlands and what those sounds are yeah for sure uh, we want to take a minute um to acknowledge that March is our birthday month oh my god our eighth birthday eighth. if we had birthed a child <laughs> They would be in fourth like, grade talking, have like their own little personality, like interests of their own, like just like a whole person. I know it's wild. We're a little bit ancient in blog years, I think. In blog, sorry, not even blog years, in podcasting years. Um, but yeah, this is our eighth <laughs> anniversary of doing the show, which is wild. I was looking at some stats, and we have over 1.1 million plays since we started the show, which is kind of incomprehensible to me. I know. Thank you all so much for listening. You're the best. And really, we keep doing it because of you. Um, And we've been able to do it because of your support. And like every year around our birthday, we do a little like NPR style fundraiser to keep the cost of our show covered. Um, Thank you so much to folks who are our members. Mm -hmm. Um, they really, really keep us sustainable. But, um, you know, we know that it's not possible for everybody, despite like what Joe Byron tries to tell us about the economy. We know that it's like tough for, <laughs> for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. So we know that not everybody can be a member. But, um, you know, we basically use the money to cover our hosting website and editing costs. We don't really like pay ourselves much Mm-mm. of anything. <laughs> no. Certainly not. Um, you know, like anything that resembles the amount of work we do to bring this to you, but, (laughs) um, we are just, um, so thankful for that. Yeah, really. You know, without that, we would have to be paying money to keep the show going and that's just not feasible for either of us. Um, so we pay with our time, but we thankfully don't have to pay any of the costs because of y'all's support and it's, um, it's really incredible. So our membership program is set up like, kind of like a Patreon model. It's not, it's not Patreon, but, um, as a sliding scale of like five, 10 or $15 a month, depending on what you can afford. And members do get access to a members only segment on every episode. So you get a little bit of a longer podcast, um, as a thank you to being a member. So if that's something that you want to join, we'll put the link in the show notes for you to join. And as a sort of incentive and on our anniversary and our birthday, um, anybody who joins as a member in March will get to pick something from the merch store. I'll email you and ask you what it is that you want. And we will send you one of our merch items for free. So either a poster or a Perreo keychain or a Team Feelings pin. There's a bunch of things to choose from. So um, that if you've been thinking about becoming a member, now is an awesome time to do that because you'll get that little gift from us. And you know, for those of you who can't afford to do a monthly donation, but want to do a one-time gift, if you, um, anything you can offer, we will happily accept and thank you for, and we'll put our, our Venmo and PayPal information in the show notes. But if you can, um, give a gift of $20 or more, we will do the same thing for you. Well, I'll email you and ask you what piece of merch you'd like, and we will send it to you for free as a thank you. So hopefully that, um, kind of encourages some of you to join us and support us and keep, um, this show going. 
And happy birthday to us. <laughs> we play the we play the birthday reggaeton like we. Oh my god! Yes, <laughs> that's kind of yeah. Um. All right. Yeah. Thanks so much, y'all. Appreciate you. All right. What do you have for us next? So this is one of the songs I was kind of alluding to that I feel like she really blurs the lines of between country and Tejano music, between you know being a person from the border, like all these like. English, Spanish, all these different things. And I think it's really interesting. So this song is called Que Hueva, and it's by Veronique Medrano. Let's take a listen. woman i did not know about her until this episode i'm gonna put a link in the show notes to an article that Beto found that has like a roundup of like latino country singers and that's where i found her um but i'm really feeling it she's from south texas and um i just think that she i mean i think she's beautiful and sounds great and the song lyrics are amazing and she's doing this really interesting sort of like blending of country and Tejano music of all of these things that represent, I think, life on the border of being a Mexican immigrant. Her album is called um, Mejia Americana. And, you know, she sings in English and in Spanish. Like, I just, I like everything she's doing. Yeah, it seems really dope. And I like so relate. Like, I really don't want to do my dishes either. <laughs> like, <laughs> is that your least favorite chore? It's absolutely my least favorite chore. I'm like sort of in this like dating, I'm dating somebody who um, does the dishes after I cook and it's like been my fantasy forever. I've always dated other people that also like to cook and we just have to be like sad about doing the dishes, but this is excellent for me. I found yourself a good one to cook. (laughs) Well, especially (laughs) because we live in apartments without dishwashers, you know, so it's all done by hand. Correct. Um, I think my least favorite chore is mopping actually though. I don't like dishes, Mm. but mopping, I, I like right now my bathroom and my kitchen really need to be mopped and I'm just like dreading it, even though like it's, it's beyond time, you know? So yeah, yeah. I feel like I used to have this like a really very um, like a block, like a mental block to mopping. And I've like sort of gotten over it because I think that like what I used to do is like I used to be like, well, I can't mop unless I dust everything. But by the time that I dust everything, like the last thing I want to do is mop. So I was like, you know what, like, I feel like I just like let that go and decided that I can just mop. And then if I dust, it'll get dirty again. And then I'll sweep again and then I'll mop it. It's just like everything will get done when it gets done. And it's helped me a little bit, but mopping does suck. I think I was like lying to myself that it doesn't make a difference. And then I did it and I was like, oh, (laughs) it makes a difference. No, it makes a huge difference. I have a robot vacuum, you know, that goes every day. And so like that piece is covered. But yeah, like it might be my activity later. But okay, I just found something really fun, which is that (laughs) Veronique has a podcast called Accordion to Me. (laughs) Oh, my God. I don't know that it's about the accordion. I think it's that's just a play on words. But um. 
it's a yeah, so it's a play good. on words. I'm gonna listen to it just based off that title Explores alone. Explores Tex-Mex country singer, and even just calling yourself a Tex-Mex country singer. I feel like Tex-Mex. I only really know his relationship to food, so I really like the idea of it being a musical designation. Explores life and creative living, quote, accordion to her and her special guest. So yeah, it's like a, it's a play on words. Um, so, so good. Everyone check that out. But um, but yeah. So her her latest song is actually um is a cover of the the Johnny Cash song Folsom Prison Blues, which is an iconic song, and she actually does a really beautiful rendition. And I was gonna bring that, but then I saw this one, and I was like, no, I'm gonna bring the Weba song instead. <laughs> um, That's really dope, though. I think one of the things that we talked about in um the member segment last week was about sort of like, I really like country music up until like maybe like the eighties. Like, I love country music from, like, the 60s and the 70s and then, like, but really, like, up to the 80s, I'm pretty happy, you know, like, 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton is, like, from the 80s, this trio album was from 87, Tracy Chapman's Fast Cars, 88, you know, so there's still, like, some good stuff up until the 80s, but I feel like it starts to turn for me in the 90s, and Bettis made this great point that, like, after 9-11, there was this, like, really, like, intense political turn with, um country music being associated with right-wing politics whereas like i think that like what i love about country music from like you know from the 50s to the 80s is that it was really associated with like working class politics in the sense that like like left-leaning working class politics right like with like the struggles of working people and like feminism and like you know you have people like loretta lynn um, singing songs about like the pill and it being like one of the reasons why rural women in the United States uh, like began to like really trust birth control pills mm. as they emerged as a birth control method or like like I talked about like nine to five Dolly Parton that feels like an anti-capitalist screed to me yeah. you know like that yeah. movie is like a feminist like you know like an 80s feminism wonderland it's <laughs> mm-hmm. so like um, I associate that era of country music with like so much subversion and um you were making the point that like after 9-11 it had this like intense turn yeah 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 i think patriotism in the face of a terrorist attack like can really be used um in a conservative fashion right to turn people politically conservative i mean we see that see that in like palest in the way that the politics around Israel and Palestine and the assault on Palestine by Israel is happening too. So yeah. I feel like it, <clears throat> it, um, it really galvanized the, the, you know, the turning right of the Republican party. And then, yeah, this, I think we have a mistaken idea that like the South is conservative, the South is conservatives and the South is Republican, you know, like that, that's like the totality mm-hmm. of the South. And that's not true. Um, demographically, it's not true. Culturally, like it's just not true. I think it's a myth that, um, serves conservatives in some ways, right, to say that they own the South. And so it's a good reminder that people are making music, even in something like country, which is so Southern, that doesn't have to be aligned with right-wing politics, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I And I've learned so much from, like, organizers in the South about, like, how to, like, resist politically in places that, like, are really hostile to that. But... um I, you know, there's so, so much resistance and the South is politically the way it is largely because of like gerrymandering and like, yeah. you know, just disenfranchisement of power and disenfranchisement and, um, you know, the role of the carceral system in disenfranchising uh, black voters, mm-hmm. uh, just this, like a lot of different things that are taking away votes from people who would probably choose to vote differently so um yeah i I appreciate that point so much about this idea about the south and the political nature of um of country music and you have to give credit to nicole she's the person that we were talking about this um and she made that point around 9 11 i was like that's so right so yeah yeah for sure all right well your next one is definitely an example of uh southern culture meet lefty politics for sure want to tell us about it yeah yeah so this is um hooray for the riffraff we've brought to the podcast before 
Um, this is just like a, a, such an interesting uh, road. How she, how Alinda, a Puerto Rican girl from the Bronx, um, got to playing Americana. But this song is um, a really, really fun one. I love it so much. It's called "I Know It's Wrong," but that's all right. love this song and the visual is also like very queer and very cute and they're all at the roller rink and it's great um but uh hooray for the riffraff if you don't know is um alinda segarra she's puerto rican from the bronx but she ran away from home as a teenager and just started like hopping the trains um and ended up in new orleans and um you know she doesn't always sound this twangy and countryish her lane is like americana which of course includes country but um i would generally um put her more in like americana folk um music which again can include country but it's not like exclusively that um and um another song that we've brought by her um off this same album this isn't new she does have a new album out um called the past is still alive that just came out this year but this is from her album small town heroes which came out in like 2014 and on the album she also has this um song called the body electric which we brought i think to our episode um about what happened after the pulse nightclub massacre and um it's this feminist play on the murder ballad, which is like this, like such a tradition in country music about like um, these crimes and murders. And, um, and I think that um, it's usually, um, you know, somewhat grisly, but like the body electric is um, this like feminist meditation on the murders of trans women and black children and this because it came out in 2014 this was like sort of like the emergence of like the first like like rise of black lives matter after the murder of trayvon martin right and but so definitely listen to that if you haven't listened to that one before but uh this one is just so silly and so fun and so good it just makes me happy and i love it so much we're recording this on monday and i'm gonna see her in concert on thursday in dc and i'm very excited and we yeah that's so fun we interviewed her during our pandemic like women artists interview series so we can link that in the show notes um if you want to hear from her but um yeah badass and yeah just a really interesting set of cultural circumstances that like inform her music yeah and she's uh, since like been doing a lot of work on on uh, like finding what her voice and her contribution to Americana is and like you know being that Puerto Rico is a part of the United States but it also has this colonial status and like where the resistance is in that and where like her voice is in that she's like so smart and um like intentional about like what her voice means in that so um, I, I really appreciate what she's, um, what she's doing. 
All right. Well, Perez, tell us about <laughs> this uh, next one. This Very one exciting. So weird. Um, I mean, not really. Only for me. I think it kind of broke my brain a little bit. Okay. This is Sammy Arriaga's Cold in Miami. Let's take a listen. Game Bay, watching the sun sink and fade. It's perfect, damn, almost perfect. Palm trees wave and sigh with me. I'm not drunk, but I might as well be. It's beautiful, almost criminal, but she's gone. It's all wrong. There's a chill coming on. It's cold in Miami. Walking on ice and I'm drowning in a sea of diamonds. When the moon wakes up, the streets come alive. Sweat and the sex and the chase and the high. I love you like summer. Yeah, you and me thought we'd never freeze, but it's cold in Miami. So, wow, wow, wow. What do you think of this, but <laughs> I sort of love it. I also love that um, the uh, first comment on this YouTube is my favorite actor, William Levy, recommended this song. I love it. Do you know who William Levy is? I don't think I do. Who is that? (laughs) William Levy is this like Cuban-American like novella actor. And I want to use the word actor in the loosest terms. This person is an actor only because he has blonde hair and like a jaw that can cut glass. But like, that's it. He's just like, you know, a very like Univision pretty, you know, (laughs) in that sort of way. And he's like, you know, like the star of all the novelas, I feel like in the early aughts. But I thought that was a very funny first comment. Oh, my favorite actor, William (laughs) Levy. That's hilarious. So yeah, this guy, this 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 person's existence kind of is like bringing parts of my life together in a way that I like I never really thought they would be brought together because I grew up in the South. I grew up in North Carolina, so I grew up with country music around me. Not and like you know I listened to some of it. I think I, I was telling to the members like my the first concert that like I chose to go to as like a teenager was a Alan Jackson concert. Like so while I wasn't like a huge country music fan, it was like all around me and it was a part of the culture I grew up in in North Carolina. But in, then I would go to Miami and it was like entirely different cultural world. And so the fact that he's like this Cuban American guy born in Miami singing like a very traditional sounding country song, talking about Miami and like highly, I'm just like. My brain is like, what is happening? Biscayne Bay. <laughs> what is happening? Like, wow. You know, like I just didn't never really, it's like bringing, it's like bringing these elements. Cause like one of the things, you know, my, my household was mostly Latin music, but my dad, for some reason was really into this Alabama Christmas album that I still listen to this, to this day, because it has such a nostalgic feel to me because it was like, we listening to like, you know, El Gran Combo, but then we're also listening to this Alabama Christmas. It's it's funny. Spotify's like, That's do you want to go to this Alabama concert? And I'm like, absolutely not. It's just that one album. <laughs> um, so so yeah, so like those things are are elements of my childhood and my upbringing, but I've never had them like brought together in this like one person, um, which is fascinating. So I found him on that list that I mentioned before that Beto had um, shared of Latin country artists, and it looks like he only has been doing his thing for a couple of years. And then the other interesting thing about him that I'm no, I'm learning from reading his website is he's like, he's big in, into NFTs. And I don't really understand what NFTs are, but apparently he sold $250,000 worth of his first music NFTs. So he owns his own music. He's not like signed by anybody. So I don't know. NFTs, I get a little bit of like, is it like a crypto scam? Like, I don't really understand NFTs. 
And so that gives me a little bit of hesitation, but I'm like, if you own your own music, you know, good for you that you're not like giving the rights of your music over to some recording industry that's going to fuck you over. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, there's that. That's, that's dope. Yeah. It's so funny that Florida is like, Florida is, is the South, right? The South. Right. But Miami. Absolutely, right? But like South Florida. Is the Caribbean. Miami feels very <laughs> different. Yeah. Miami's like the capital of Latin America, right. but also like, like go drive like an hour yeah. away. Oh, I know. Like two hours north. Like it's not, it doesn't take very much. No. To like suddenly be in like Gator South territory. No, no. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like so. It's very strange. It's not that strange that, like, they would eventually, you know, like, there would be a mix. I guess so. But it's like, yeah, Miami feels so far culturally from this in so many ways. And it sounds like, you know, he found his place in Nashville, not surprisingly. Like, that's where you go to do country music. But, um, right. But yeah, I mean, Miami just is not the South in in any of the ways that we think of it as the South, you know, and and maybe that's also part of like, this is the South now, right? Like, like you said, like immigration, like, even outside of Miami, like, there's been huge amounts of like, Latino immigration all over the South. But, um, but yeah, so this was really interesting person to discover. um, (laughs) And I'm still processing it. (laughs) Still processing it. Um, yeah. Yeah. We contain multitudes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, truly. Well, I'm, I'll let you process that for a little <laughs> okay, while longer. Um, I have discovered this next group uh, through our research today, and I'm very excited about it. This song is called I Honky Tonk Too Hard Last Night by Ramona and the Holy Smokes. <laughs> discovered Ramona and the Holy Smokes um, in my research for this episode and I'm really happy to hear about them because they play original honky-tonk music as well as traditional mariachi music in a country western style and they do this like more 50s 60s inspired country which I just love it's like some of my favorite and um i uh, yeah and uh, this one was just fun like who among us has not honky tonked <laughs> too hard i think i never thought about what that means it just means drinking i mean a honky tonk is a bar so yeah it's like you just like went honky too hard tonk. at the bar honky tonk wow yeah, it's like, but it's like a honky tonk. It's not just like a bar. It's like a, it's like a dive. It's like un lugar de mala muerte, you know? <laughs> like, it's got that vibe mm-hmm. to me, you know? Like. <laughs> when did you get into country music? Like, do you remember how you started listening? Yeah, I had an ex who really liked country mm-hmm. music. And um, I was able to get into um i the like women of classic country so like uh people like linda ronstadt right people like loretta lynn people like 
Emmylou Harris and Dolly Parton is like the, you know, the goat. I fucking love. I've been to see Dolly Parton in concert. I cried like more than once oh during God, the show. Um, it was so good when I it was like in Queens at the um, at the outdoor venue, and I was like, who? Like, what is? I was so curious when I went to go see like what Dolly Parton's audience was in New York City. I'm like, who goes to see Dolly Parton in New York City? And the answer is homosexuals. <laughs> She does feel like kind of like the original drag queen, you know? uh, I was one of them. I was also there with my, like, girlfriends at the time. Right. So I was like, yeah, right. Correct. That sounds right. Right. You know, it's like, this is, this is who comes. I mean, many drag queens, I think, have been inspired by her, you know? Yeah. I have uh, heard that there's, there's this, like, urban legend. I don't know if it's true, but that, like, Dolly Parton once joined a drag queen Dolly Parton lookalike contest and she lost (laughs) to another drag queen. (laughs) Like, undercover? (laughs) Yeah, just undercover. She just, like, was there and decided to join. And they were like, no, you're not. You're not. Oh, my God. That, I I hope that's true. I hope that's true. But she's always like she's always been like a super um, friendly to queers. She loves drag queens. And um, one time when I was on my way to Dollywood, actually, um, I uh, this was like when I was much younger and I would do something like stay on the couch of somebody that like was a friend of a friend um, that I knew through like organizing and she was like a sex work activist like a sex workers rights activist and when we told her that we were you know on the way to dollywood she was like oh dolly parton's the first person i ever heard say something nice about a sex worker Mm. and i was like oh yeah that makes sense because she like famously has talked about how um when she would see the girls on the stroll in um pigeon forge tennessee Mm -hmm. where she's from Mm -hmm. she would see the girls on the stroll and she'd be like they're so pretty like i want to look like them Mm. and people are like that's trashy or and she was like i love it like i want to look like them you know and like so she's like very famously like like has like hold sex workers that as style icons right um so she's just so wonderful and so i feel like i got into country when i was able to see like the way that women have been subversive in it yeah she's so interesting she's so interesting because she's i feel like she's been able to she's like obviously like a sexual icon in certain ways and like really plays up her sexuality through like her really large breasts but isn't i feel like she's in charge of her of her like um objectification in a way that like in the way that some other like women who have like maybe a similar body type or whatever have not been able to be and i think it's interesting i I was reading now on her wikipedia that like she turned down offers to pose nude in playboy a bunch of times which is like a big deal Mm because that's like a can be like a real like milestone for people um but she did pose on the cover in a playboy bunny outfit so like i think that's some of what it's done is that she's 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 managed her image in that way, you know? Um Yeah. Wow. Yeah, she's really interesting. Yeah, she's she's interesting and like has been super smart and business oriented about her career and like really like grounded in who she is, really. Um and Dolly Parton also has this like literacy um and like charity where she's like just like her her deal is like children's literacy and like she sends like books to kids to like free books like that's her deal that's like her passion she like sends free books to children dolly parton's reading program i love that and it's just like so tender and so wonderful and i love her so much and she's so great and i feel like in the last like five or so years people have like come around to understand how truly iconic she really is and I feel like I was like, yeah, what have you guys been waiting for? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But she's really wonderful. Oh, I think she's so interesting. I'm reading one of the quotes here is it takes a lot of money to look this cheap. You know, like she just really. Yeah. I feel like she. Yeah. She makes fun of herself in a way that's very empowering. Um, she also says, if I see something sagging, bagging or dragging, I'll get it nip tucked or sucked. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, she is. She is like not fucking around. Like she's like, I'm. She's super honest, super candid. You know, she was one of twelve so children. Yeah, she grew up like 
in a, like a one room cabin with all of them. Right. <laughs> you know, she's like, you at Dollywood, there is a replica of the cabin that she grew up on in the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. And to bring this all full circle, she's the godmother of Miley Cyrus. <laughs> See? <laughs> Makes this sense, is what I'm right? talking about. I, yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, like when I say that Miley Cyrus is squandering her talents, I saw her go toe to toe with uh, Dolly doing Jolene right. and uh, Miley could keep up. I'm like, girl, why are you wasting your time on everything that you're doing when you could just be belting out country songs? Right. Like your daddy. Right. Mm. There's certain things about you that I feel are so just like a lovely contrast to certain parts of your personality. <laughs> And I think this is one of them. <laughs> like your, your love of animals and also your love of um, Dolly Parton. <laughs> we're just, yeah, we're all complex yeah. human beings. But um, this is great. It's so dumb. I love, and I, I feel it. like Ramona and the Holy Smokes mm-hmm. is like uh, sort of a harkens back in their sound to like some of the time that like Dolly was at her peak. Yeah. Um, if you all can watch the drunk history of Dolly Parton, it's like a really good encapsulation of like who she was. It's so good. Awesome. I want to look that up. She's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. She is. Well, thanks for the suggestion, Veto. This right. was a fun, this was a fun topic. Yeah. I had fun. I had fun. Thank you all for indulging my like, you know, secret yeehaw tendencies. <laughs> Very secret. <laughs> I mean, I don't not, try to not keep anymore. Them a secret, I guess not but... anymore. Yeah, <laughs> um, unex- maybe a little bit unexpected, but in, a, in a, the best way. <laughs> um, as always, all the information about these songs in our show notes on radiomania.com and linked in wherever you're listening to this. And um, take a look at our Instagrams and Twitter and follow us there. But the real good stuff is on our newsletter. So. Uh, sign up for that and you'll find what we're reading and things that we're into um and thank you as always to Maite for your editing help see y'all next week hasta la próxima bye